All right, come on, have a seat, have a seat. We have a lot to cover in less than an hour. All right. Here we go. Still see lots of guys walking around everywhere. It's all right. We're getting there. I know you got to stretch out. You got to move around a little bit. Completely understandable. Next time we do this, we're going to schedule a, a 5K that we can all run together right afterwards. Want to be fun? All right, let's start with this. I want to pick up on something that Pastor Jim le left off with uh, before I dive into the final session for, uh, for this event. In one word, what is your biggest struggle in your marriage? In one word, what's the biggest struggle in your marriage? Um, write it down if you would. You're not going to share it. I like to let you know when you're not going to share something so that you don't feel like you have to share something with a group that you're not wanting to share. If you don't have anything to write down, you're blind. You're naive. What is it? Write it down. And then I want you to ask yourself in the coming days, what are you doing to resolve it? Are you actually putting energy, time, effort into resolving that, to being able to do that? What is it? So it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing to be able to do, to evaluate, because so many times we speak on a theory level, a philosophy level, which is important, uh, but at the same time, we, we don't ever go to that next place of really identifying things. And uh, it's fun to do that, right? We do that in all kinds of uh, areas of our life where we, sp we speak so broadly about it, and we feel like we're knowledgeable when we speak broadly about something, but we never have the accountability of doing something if we don't pinpoint, hey, here's something that I need to work on. And we need to pinpoint it. We need to say, These, this is something I need to really invest in. Good? Good. Session number four. Go ahead and open up your notebooks. We're going to run through a, a lot of this where I'm literally, just because I know if you don't fill in the blank, some of you will start, you'll get a twitch. So I'm going to give you some things literally just so you can have the answer. We're not going to cover a lot about it because there's so much material here and so much that we want to make sure that we address with you. Um, Here's one of the greatest dangers uh, that we have as men today, uh, is that Satan, which is, Satan is real. I, if, if you don't believe Satan is real, I'd love for you to go back, listen to a series on Ephesians that I preached, um, Ephesians chapter 6 uh, primarily, but if you go back to January, it's on our website, you can listen to those, there's a few sermons there where I really address Satan and the devil and his influence with us today. We need to understand that Satan is real, there are spiritual forces out there, there are dark forces out there, and one of the ways that Satan works is he loves to distract us. One of the greatest ways that Satan works today is that he distracts us. Just, there's no blank for that, just write it down if you would. Satan distracts us. Right? We, we need to get comfortable with the fact that sometimes maybe God wants us to walk up to another man and go, you know what, right now spiritually I'm distracted. I'm so focused and like literally look at somebody in the eyes, have the conversation because we're afraid to do it. I'm distracted. I need, I need somebody to help me get focused again because my energies and my resources, my ideas, my thoughts are being pulled in a different direction and that's what he wants to do. He just wants to keep nudging you a little bit more and more and more and more and he keeps nudging you and that's what Satan does. He comes and distracts you. That's why we always talk about it here on Sunday mornings where if this is a relationship with God, right? That's a relationship with Satan. Satan just wants us to take one little step closer, and he just keeps doing it, right? He just wants to keep nudging us, distracting us over and over and over again. And we need to recognize that over the course of 30 years, 40 years, that, that becomes a problem, doesn't it? I mean, by then, you're really off track, and you've never done anything to correct course. So we get tempted. We have struggles with that. Satan is pulling us aside. He wants to lull us in to complacency, to apathy, to compromise, to all those different things. So we don't want that to happen. 
It happens, part of the reason is we even referred to it last night is because we recognize and we identify the fact that we're in something called the rat race. All right, what, what did we say last night? The problem was if you, if you win the rat race, the, the struggle is that you're still a rat. All right, we, we struggle with this. We, we, get off of, we get off track. We live in a culture that requires more energy than ever before in order to live in it. The more you have, the more you have to do, right? More to maintain, more to upkeep, everything else, right? The more you have, the more you have to do. I'm not saying it's wrong to have. What I'm saying is we live in a culture that's all about having. How much can I have? And so we have to spend energy and time doing so many different things that we never would have spent energy and time on before. And it's requiring more and more of ourselves over and over, and here's some of the reasons why, is because it's deeply ingrained in our culture. Here are four economic forces, and I, I think it's interesting to look at it in this way with the economic forces because it, ec- the economy, money, impacts us probably more than anything else. And so then it, it, it kind of penetrates and infiltrates different aspects of our life. One, we have this thing called mass production. Um, and this is the part I'm just going to run through with you so you can have some of this because, again, I know you'll get a twitch if you don't have all the fill-ins. Um, mass production is that we just, there's more and more out there. Anything you want, you can just go and get it right then. You don't even have to leave the comfort of your home anymore. Thanks to the Internet, of course, the technology. You just press a couple of buttons and it's coming to your door. Go get Amazon Prime, right? And within two days, it's right there for you. And there's this mass production. You can get anything you want at any time. And there's also this mass communication. There's mass communication, meaning that anything that you ever wanted to know about before, you could go and learn about. You can discover what that is. There's not only mass communication, there's mass marketing, and it's there for us, and everything in the world is being marketed to us. Everything is. Anything that you can possibly imagine is out there for the taking, and there's also this struggle that we have, and it's called installment credit. We can go and we can buy anything even if we don't really have the money for it. We just go and we get it, we don't think about the long-term impact of it, And these are struggles that we have. We treat our relationships often in similar ways. We jump into relationships. We really don't have the emotional um, time to give to it, the emotional energy to give to it. But we jump into a relationship and then we wonder why it doesn't go very well. We just go and we buy it, if you would, not having the energy to pour into it. We do that with our spouses and with other people also. Well, I'm going to try to have a relationship with someone and we don't ever give the right value to it. We don't even consider the fact that, you know what? Um, there's only so many hours in a week, only so many hours in a day. I'm already using 17 of those hours every day, and now I'm going to try to be in an intimate relationship with someone, but I'm not going to eliminate anything that I already have. You don't have enough to spend on that relationship, and then you're wondering why there's so many struggles in that relationship. And there are different results in doing this. There's a delay in gratif- There's no delay in gratification today. We just get what we want, and so we don't work for anything sometimes as hard as we used to. And we lose focus. We get distracted. We, we don't stay on track. We don't stay on track. Nothing we ever do will make us good enough for God to love us. I want you to hear that right now. And this is where I'm going to slow down a little bit. I'm going to start spending some time and some energy. We need to understand, and this is that decision that we have to make, that we need to slow down enough in life and we need to determine whether or not we want to be in a relationship with God. Knowing that we can't be good enough for God, there's nothing you can ever do that's going to earn enough credit with God to gain salvation. But we need to really focus and we need to stop and we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to give ourselves to Jesus Christ. So yesterday we started off talking about spiritual shoes. One of the scariest things in the world for a man today is to change spiritual shoes. And we need to really answer that question. We need to determine if we're willing to change spiritual shoes and really grow in our relationship with God. 
The point of this weekend is not to make things quote unquote easier for you to do the same thing. Right? Isn't that how we often, we go to a, a seminar or something like that because really we're, we're, not, we're not really thinking, I want to change my heart and my entire life. We just want to keep our life the same but find tools to make the way we do life easier. That's not the point. The point is for you to change your heart and to change your life by surrendering and submitting to his authority completely. That's really the point. But I want you to write down a few things for me real quick. It's not your notes again, just write it down. I'm going to give you four things. First, write down just the words, God's plan. One, two, we're going to do this. One, two, three, four. I'm going to lay it out as simply as I can for us. First, we have God's plan. God's plan is for you to have a life of peace. I have a life of abundance. He desires to be in a relationship with you as your heavenly father. And we know that he loves us. I hope that you believe that. We, we look at the traditional passages, even like John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God has a plan to be in a relationship with us. And he created this plan, and he made this plan. The problem is, in Genesis, we know that there was the fall, and so you have humanity who broke that very, very quickly, very, very early on. And so here's God, he has his plan, but the people that he wants his plan with and has his plan for, they, they rebel against God, and they are struggling with God's plan. And that's really the second part. You have God's plan to give us a life of hope and a life of abundance and a life of peace that really is about significance because it's not just focused on us. And so not only do you have God's plan, second, you have our struggle. God's plan, and here's our struggle. Our struggle is that we have sin in our life. What does sin do? Sin separates us from God. And so you have God's plan, but then you have our struggle, and that struggle is separation from God because we live for self rather than living for Him. Now, that's today, I think, where the majority of people are falling. They'll recognize that God is real. They'll recognize that God is out there. Um, the numbers of people who are believing in God are no different, really. You, you hear about all the atheists and different things like that, right? Well, there's still... There's still a massive, massive percentage of people, 95, 96% of people believe in God. The struggle is they don't necessarily believe in Jesus Christ. Christianity is the one that's being attacked, not as much the existence of God. So we understand and we go, well, there's got to be a God because none of this makes sense otherwise, right? But then we, our struggle is where we're lying. Our struggle is that we don't necessarily believe that we need God. And so we keep living for self. We keep living in the way that we want to live. So we need to know that God has a plan, but we, we need to recognize that there is a struggle that we have called separation from God because of our sin. If you don't recognize that you're a sinner, if you don't recognize that there are ways to do things better than only through yourself, then you're never going to be in a healthy place with God. And so you have God's plan, then you have our struggle, and then you're going to have God's remedy. God's plan, our struggle, God's remedy. Here's God's remedy. Is that in the Old Testament, we find him wanting the people to keep certain commands, to be able to worship him in certain ways. And if they did that, they were in a healthy relationship with God. And we saw, we see the Israelites, the people of God, just like us, they would go, okay, I'm doing great. And then they would start living for self. I'm doing horrible. And then God would come and say, what are you doing? And so he would punish them. And he'd be like, fine, I'm not going to let you enter the promised land then. Right? And then they start doing better again, and then they start doing bad. And they start doing better again, and they start doing bad. And they start doing better again, and they start doing bad. Anybody else been like this with eating, weight loss? Right? That's why I say, I start a new diet every Monday and Tuesday. And I start over on Wednesday. Right? It's just that continual, say, well, that's how we are spiritually a lot of times. That's how the people were, and they could never be in a healthy relationship. So God gave his son. That was his remedy. He goes, you know what? For anybody who truly, truly has faith and belief in me, 
then I'm going to allow them to be in a relationship with me. If they truly have faith, by faith alone it says. It doesn't say by works. People go, well, if I'm just a good enough person, you can't be a good enough person. You can't give enough money. You can't show up at church enough times a week. It's faith alone. Here's God's remedy. He said, you know what? I'm going to give my son to take their sin. And we go, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't see how it's possible. Well, one of the reasons why is you're not God. Uh, my friend Fred DeGraff and I, we were talking the other day, and he had visited a place. He came down from my father's funeral with John Van Dyke. They went to the Billy Graham Museum down in North Carolina when they flew into Charlotte. Um, and uh, he says one of the stories of Billy Graham that really stood out to me that you're talking to me about. He says Billy Graham was in the woods. Make sure I get this right. He's in the woods. And he just, he had that moment where he has the Bible and he just, he, there's a stump there in front of him and he just has to say to himself, I don't understand all of it, but I believe it. At some point, every single one of you in your life, is, you're going to have to determine, you're, you're not going to understand the love of God. <laughs> you can't. But you're going to have to come to a place of whether or not you will believe it. You have God's plan, you have our struggle with our own sin, and then you have God's remedy of his son. But there's a fourth piece of this that we have to understand also, and that's called our response. Notice you have God's plan, our struggle, God's remedy, our response. And you need to determine what your response is going to be to the power and the love of Jesus Christ. You have to determine today, this is, this is more important than any other material that I can share with you. You need to determine whether or not you're going to put on some spiritual shoes. Do you really, do you want to put on some different spiritual shoes? So many people are wearing the same shoes that their parents wore. Like you, you were born, your parents put on some shoes and you've never changed spiritual shoes since. Maybe you grew up in the Reformed Church, they baptized you, sprinkled you, whatever it was, and, and as a baby, you don't have any idea what that really was about because you don't remember any of that, but you haven't changed shoes since. Nobody else's faith can be applicable for you and your faith. It's a personal decision that you have to make. You need to determine right now if you want to put on some spiritual shoes. It was God's plan, our struggle. God gave a remedy, and we have to make our own response. And I hope that you're going to respond to that in a positive way. And there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. A lot of that is a matter of just surrendering and submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what really matters. Of putting on those spiritual shoes, maybe for the very, very first time. And when you do that, you can start to stay on track in a way that maybe you've never stayed on track before. Knowing that there's, there's nothing, as I said previously, there's nothing that we can do that will ever make us good enough for God to love us. We know that. And so there's other things. If you really want to put on some spiritual shoes that you can do in your life, one of the things that you can do is already up here, you're going to have some active church involvement. Average per person who claims to be a believer, goes to church 1.5 times a month. Our church is going to have 1,000 people here tomorrow, roughly, and we have about 14 or 1,500 people who are coming here regularly. But if you do the math, that makes sense, doesn't it? One and a half times a month. That's about, if you, if you go through it, oh, that's about 18 times a year someone's going to come to church. That's the, that's considered an active attender in America today. I believe God deserves more, not because you have to show up at church to count all the heads, but so you can grow spiritually. 
It's one of the things that this church is striving to be. We are not here just to make, let you come in and to feel awesome about who you are. We want you to be encouraged. But the greatest way to understand your significance is to feel awesome about who God is and live according to his word. Easiest way to grow a church, make people feel better about who they already are. Who you already are will get you to hell. Who God is will get you to eternity. That's great news. We don't think that's bad news. We think that's the most amazing news that I could ever share with you. And so if you really want to put on some spiritual shoes, you need to have some some active church involvement. If it's here, anywhere else, this church is all about kingdom growth. We want to partner. We're partnering with other churches right now, helping them, working with them on how to grow the kingdom. One is you need to dive in to having some quiet time. Um, this is one of the exciting things about this event is if you, have to, you need to be willing to do this, of course, but we're trying to get all of these different tables to meet six different times throughout the summer. So all of a sudden there's going to be four to eight of you rather than 170 of you. But you're going to be meeting together. You can do that anytime you want. You can do that on your back deck. You can do that on a boat. You can do that at a restaurant. You can do that at a coffee house. We don't care where you do it. But where you can just have some real life conversation. And that'll be facilitated um, and that'll be led by one of the individuals. But where you can really get to know each other and start to be those accountability partners that you need to be with one another. That leads into even being accountable and saying, hey, I need to have some quiet time. I need to make that time for God. Pastor Jim was talking about that, those 15 minutes that he spends every day with Bert. We need to spend that same amount of time at least with God. And to sit down with him. You're going, well, I have no idea how to do that. We would love to help you do that. We would love to be able to help you do that. So one is active church involvement. Another is quiet time uh, or personal devotions that you see there. Another is getting into a discipleship group. I just mentioned one of those opportunities just for the summer, but also to jump into a group continually that's ongoing that you can really be poured into, of making that decision in your life, because you can't do it on your own. When you try to do it on your own, everybody gets led astray. Satan starts to creep in and he starts to distract you just a little bit, but then he does a little bit more and then a little bit more and before you know it, you're really off course in your own life. What these groups do for us is it gives us accountability to be regularly answerable for each of the key areas of our lives. That's what that really is, accountability. We need to understand that we need to be accountable in the key areas of our life. Now, you ask, do you have that guy right now who can come to you and go, hey, how are you doing with that time with your wife? Are you spending that time with your wife right now? Do you have that guy that can ask you that question without you being offended? Because they actually care enough for you to ask you the question. You see, I don't consider that to be a friend. I don't consider the guy to be a friend who's, who's not willing to make sure that I'm growing spiritually. Because if they believe that God is eternal, they believe God is who he says he is, that he will do all that he has promised to do, then if someone doesn't want to make sure that I'm walking with God, are they really a friend? Recently there was a guy who, they've been coming to church, they're not here today, um, and I love the fact that he, he reached out to me. We were able to have some coffee together a couple of different times now. Um, and he goes, you know what? I, I, I haven't been to church very much in my life. And I've never had anybody, even when I was going to church, I, I've never had anybody ask me questions really about who God is. I, I just think to myself, that's sad to me. You shouldn't consider me a very good friend if I'm not willing to ask you questions about who God is to you. And so do you have those people in your life who can hold you accountable and do you receive it? Are you receptive to it? From people who really do know God's word. From people who are qualified to speak about it. And not just taking the word, taking the gospel, because this is what so many different people have done today. What we've done is we're trying to make the gospel fit our opinion rather than allowing our opinions to fit the gospel. Anybody done that before? You've already determined what you believe, and so then you take out select passages to make sure that it fits what you want it to say. 
Anybody? Come on. It's hard to not do that. But what we need to be able to do is we need to recognize that God's word is greater than that. God's word is greater than that. Another thing that we can do is, the fifth area, is we can have a personal ministry. One of the things that we're trying to focus on at Chapel Point is we want you to help, we want to help you discover your spiritual giftedness. It's what I was referring to a little bit yesterday. You're always going to enjoy life more when you're running in the way that God intends for you to run. And if you're running on the right fuel, I have a 2007 FJ Cruiser. I got a doozy of a deal on it from a friend of mine in Connecticut, so I decided to buy it. Um, it was only after I got this doozy of a deal on it that he said, oh, by the way, it has to run on high octane. I said, really? Isn't that like 50 cents more a gallon? He goes, yeah. I said, what happens if I put 87 in it anyway? He goes, it won't run very well at all, and over time it'll just stop. You'll kill the engine. I said, for real? He goes, I said, you're just messing with me. So I called up Toyota. Does it really need high octane? Well, doesn't it say that? I, I think I said jerk, hung up. No, I just said, I'm praying for you. I love you. God does too. If you, it, I tried it. My wife called me up one day. She goes, honey, I messed up. I said, what'd you do? It's okay. It's, we'll work it out. Whatever it is. She goes, I put 87 octane in the car. I go, no. The world is ending. It started clunking. Like, little, I'm going, really? That quick? Piece of junk Toyota. I'm sorry if any of you work for Toyota. So now I've got high octane back in it and it's running well. Too many of you are running on the wrong, wrong gas. You've got the wrong fuel in your tank and you're wondering why your life is so rough. You keep chasing carrots that are never going to fill your belly. You keep chasing the career. I love how we spoke about it last night. You keep chasing a career that you actually want to retire from. Everybody, did you notice retirement used to be 67 to 70? Now people want to retire when they're 65. Then, that, then it was 60 and now 55. And half of you are going, well, by the time I'm 45, I want to retire. Lazy people. We pour so much into a career that you're not going to even have the last half of your life. And you think you can find fulfillment there? You're running on the wrong fuel. And you're wondering why life is so clunky. You can't get up, even when you get up to speed, it's, kind of, it's just not a smooth ride. There will never be a smooth ride apart from Jesus. You have to have your response. God's remedy was giving us his son, but you have to determine what your response is going to be to that. Again, the point of this is not for you to keep the same life you have and for us just to give you a couple of tools for it to be easier to keep things the way they are. You are to continually be transformed by Jesus Christ, to grow in your relationship, to grow in your marriage. If your plan is that in a year from now you have the exact same life you have today, it's just a little bit easier, you are selling short what God wants to do in your life. You're not getting it. And you're wearing the same blasted spiritual shoes that your mom and dad put on you when you were little. And you've never claimed any for yourself. What if we had the courage to do that as men today? I'm 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 I get frustrated with our culture and the things that we celebrate. One of the things John Van Dyke and I we talk about is we celebrate what you value and you value what you celebrate. And we're celebrating all the wrong things. I don't care how far you can hit a golf ball. 
I care about how much you love Jesus and you love your children and how you raise them to be warriors. Now, I love to play golf. Don't get me wrong. God invented that sport. But get your priorities straight. And that's a choice. You know, you want to be humble and you do something in your life. Maybe you run the fastest race you've ever ran or you bought another business and, or, or something's going right with your, you know, you bought a larger or a nicer house or another boat or whatever it might be. All of those are fine and dandy, but you're looking for a way to tell someone kind of what just happened because you're excited about it. For some of you, maybe we talked about we gave our wives a hard time because they got a new pair of shoes and the very first thing to do is they go home and they throw on those new shoes because they want to wear them. That's what my kids do now. They get a new pair of shoes and immediately... They're wearing the new shoes. I'm like, that doesn't go at all. I don't care. They're awesome. I wish we were that eager to to tell other people what God's doing in our life. When's the last time you went to someone and said, can I, did you go home last night and you tell your wife, you know what, honey, God's calling me to put on new spiritual shoes and I'm so pumped about it. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Fact of the matter is, half of us might have gone home, even if God spoke to us and said, I want you to put on new spiritual shoes, where you may be scared to tell our wife that. There's honesty. You don't know how that's going to go. They may go, well, I've heard that before, which just deflates you right away, right? Or you're afraid that if you go and say, God, God spoke to me and I want to put on some new spiritual shoes, you're afraid that they're, gonna, they're gonna laugh at you. Or they're not going to let you even try to do it. And so you just, you're, you've, already, you've already given up a little bit. Can't this just be about making my current life a little bit better? No, it's not about keeping the current life. It's about finding a new life in Jesus. And the more you find that new life in Jesus, you're going to want to plug in to ministry. And you're going to want to use your giftedness. And you're going to want to do it in a way that just really shows the love and the passion of Christ for all people. That's what it's about. That's what we need to be about. So that's what we're running for. That's what we're shooting for. How can we get back on track when we've lost course? Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into action is like a wise man built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into action is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it it fell with a great crash. I see so many people today building their houses on sand. People of the church building their house. You know what I mean by that. Building their house on sand. And I'll come and I'll talk to people. I'm like, hey, you want to grab lunch? And they're you know, I can tell they're automatically worried. And I say, hey, listen, I just see some things you're doing. And I just want to talk to you about it because I know I've done the same thing before. And then they get upset with God when the house begins to fall. And I just want to say, don't you remember? We, t- we already determined previously you were building your house on sand to begin with. There is only one person, one thing that is eternal. One And you have to determine what your response is going to be to that. And we can't be cultural Christians. We want to be in the culture, but we want to shape it. So often what we want to do in life is we want to make our own personal plans... And then we want to pray that God blesses it. Anybody been there before? Isn't that even how we raise our children? 
Like we teach them from an early age. Like my son's already talking about he wants to take an entrepreneurial class at GVSU uh, next summer, and he's one, and he's twelve, right? And he and he just gets it though, right? Our neighbor, um, she's got a, her own little business, and so last year when he was eleven, he wrote up a three-page business proposal for her and said, "Hey, I think this could help you." I said, "What's wrong with you?" And so here he is, and he's doing all these things, and, and that's what we do. We teach our children, hey, you need to determine what you want to do in life and whatever you want to run for, and then ask God to bless it. Maybe we need to go to God first and say, God, what is it that you've designed me to do? And then make the arrangements to make it happen. Do you see how sometimes we've, we've flipped it? We're upside down. We're upside down in our life because instead of praying about something and seeking God's will, God's design for significance in our life, what we're doing is we're making our own individual plans. Then we're praying and calling out to God that he would help and bless that very thing, right? You have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some consider there to be a fifth gospel of Timothy. But a lot of us, if we're honest, we've got a fifth gospel and it's our own name. And we've made God, we're, we're, we're begging God to be the God we desire him to be. I am so grateful that God is not the God that you desire him to be. Because if he were, everybody else would be screwed. And we want him to fit our life and do things our way. And what I'm trying to convey to you is that when you put on some spiritual shoes, when you recognize that God is supreme, God is the one who's perfect, when you surrender to that, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater. And so that's a choice that we have to make. There's a God who is, and then there's a God that we want, and they're, they're never the same. The turning point of our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. I think, um, I'll give you a picture of Chapel Point. There is, any of you still wear, maybe you, you do this, this is nothing wrong with this by the way, I'm not, Penny loafers, you know what I'm talking about? Like people used to buy the penny loafers, they put the, the new penny in the shoe. You know what I'm talking about. If you ever, same as like members only jackets, you had those up north, right? Some of you still wear them. Jams, herringbone necklaces, and a butt cut, right? You know what I'm talking about. Penny loafers, popular then, sometimes people still wear them today, I see them around. Um, I want to be a church where um, our spiritual shoes aren't penny loafers. And I'm not talking about on Sunday morning, whatever you wear. I'll go back to yesterday to the first illustration. I want this to be the shoes that we have to wear as a church. I want this to be the shoe that we have to wear. Because we're willing to get muddy and messy. And we're willing to walk through marriages even when it's not easy. When it's hard. We recognize God can redeem anyone at any time from anything, and that includes our marriages. That includes our children that maybe sometimes we've given up. I've, I've encountered men who have given up on their children. I'm so glad that God doesn't give up on us. And we have to make a decision. So this is what I want us to do. I want you to answer this one question in your group. 
And then you can dive into the other questions there, but it has to start with this. I want everybody to be able to answer. I'm going to give you about 15 minutes to do so. What scares you the most about putting on spiritual shoes? Or even changing spiritual shoes? Some of you are like, you know, I've got spiritual shoes on. I'm here, aren't I? I'm a Saturday morning. But you've got the same spiritual shoes that you've been wearing for the last decade. And they stink, by the way. And God's wanting you to put on some new spiritual shoes. What scares you the most about that? Now, I know that when you're talking to a bunch of men, this is not the kind of question that most men want to answer. But I think we've already learned that what most men desire in this community, in this culture, in our society, in our country, in our world, isn't working. So I'm a strong component of learning from those who have gone before. And so let's break the mold a little bit. I want you to answer the question, what scares you the most about putting on some new spiritual shoes? What is that for you? I'm going to give you about 15 minutes to answer that around your tables. Let's do that now. All right, so this is, I'd like to invite you to do one more thing. Um, I'm going to invite you all to stand up with me. You don't need anything in your hand. And I'm going to, I want to encourage you to, all of you to have the opportunity now. I want you to all come forward as far as you can to spread out across the front here. And the reason we're going to do it, we're just going to worship a little bit. And, uh. There, I don't know about you guys, we're all men. There are too many men today who have all the answers but who aren't willing to take any action. Right? They sit in their lazy boy, even spiritually speaking, and they tell everybody else what's wrong and what they need to do, including their children and their wife, but they're not willing to get out of the chair and actually be a part of it. And so that's what we want to do. That's why I wanted you to get up away from your table, actually have some action of coming forward. That's part of that last thing, right? God gave a remedy through his son, Jesus Christ, to our struggle that we have with sin separating us from who he is. But we have to have a response. And it's more than just with our, our mouths, it's with our lives. It's the way that we choose to do things. And so I just want us to worship together. We're going to sing a little bit. I'm going to pray a little bit. We might sing a little bit. I'll pray a little bit. I don't know. As God leads, we'll do that. So let's worship Sing the song that we sang last night. We turn our eyes. We turn our eyes. We turn our eyes. See the darkness bowed alight. And we will rise. We will rise. Love has overcome the night. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the Oh God, how I need 
That's our prayer, God. I need you. to admit, to surrender the authority to who you are through your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to be honest enough to, to tell others, you know, sometimes it scares us to think about not wanting to, con to control everything. And if we're really honest about it, we're still going to want to control things at times, and it's going to be a continual daily fight to surrender that control to you because we believe, even when we don't understand everything, we believe in your authority. And so we believe that your plans, your ways, your thoughts, your methods are greater than our own. God, we keep chasing rabbits. May we chase Jesus. May we chase Jesus. Friends, pray right now. Just close your eyes if you haven't already. Close your eyes and ask, just speak to yourself. Holy Spirit, fill me. Breathe them in. Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me the courage I need in life. Say that to him. Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me the strength I need in life. Say that to him personally. Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me the passion for you that I need. Just pray that. Ask, ask God of that right now. we've gotten distracted some of us maybe we've just been lost the whole life <laughs> we've, we've never been on course refocus our lives God Help us to change shoes. To go home and look at a loved one and tell them, you know what? God's doing something in my life. And some of our friends, our family may go, well, I don't want anything to change. And for us to have the courage to look at them and say, you know what? I want everything to change. Because God is greater than me. God, you are greater. You are more marvelous. You are, you're majestic. Majestic and almighty. Majestic and wonderful and beautiful. God, when we think too highly of ourselves, forgive us. May we think more highly of you. And when the world tells us that submitting to you is silly and naive, God, may we simply have a greater desire to pray for them, to submit even more as we see your power just rush through our families, rush through our lives 
as a spiritual storm, a spiritual awakening. God, there's probably, as we spoke about last night, probably nearly 500 kids that are represented with the men in these room and in this room right now. God, equip them. Give us the courage to equip them, empower them, enable them to be mighty warriors for Jesus, fighters for Jesus Christ. God, help us to understand that when we are silent, we are concurring with the culture. God, you spoke up in this world, and when you spoke, you spoke love and passion and joy and peace and comfort and salvation and forgiveness. God, may we declare you and not ourselves. May that be our legacy. When we die one day, even if the words are few, may it be they declared Jesus. They declared Jesus. They wore his shoes. And the shoes are dirty. They have holes in them and they're worn out because they are so busy serving and loving just as you did for all people. Give these men a mighty courage, God. May they truly today receive, maybe for the first time, what it is to be a mighty man of God. May they see that your kingdom is so much greater than their own. as you took action for us. In Christ's name, amen.